and say, you are, you are so refreshing. Would you do that? Just turn to your friend, your neighbor, your husband, your wife. Just let them know how much of refreshing they are, how much of a blessing they are. Amen. How, how, how many of you are going from glory to glory? Amen. How many of you know God's take us into heavenly places? And we're not going back. We're not going to be the same. I mean, we're moving forward. We're, we're pressing toward the prize of the mark of the high cost. I am in the presence of winners here. God's hand is on you. I, and I mean that. The seal of the Holy Ghost is upon your life. And you know what? It really, even though we have trials and afflictions and we go through our bumps along the way, you know, that, what's so amazing is that really all things do work together for good to them that love God. I mean, that's... That's the kind of God we serve, and uh, tonight we're going to uh, we're going to be on point tonight. We're going to be strictly steadfast. Uh, if you have your notes, uh, we if you want to take your Bibles also to jump with me to Second Samuel chapter fifteen. I'm going to read the first fourteen verses. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, I'm I'm dealing with uh, the issue of uh, dealing with defilement and learning to guard and to set boundaries in our life. Let me just say this to all of you. The purpose and the goal of New Life Fellowship is to pursue the kingdom of God and to usher heaven on earth. That is our goal. I love what Bill Johnson says. His, his, his mission statement is one word, revival. And uh, how many of you want revival? How many of you like to see revival in our lives? And, you know, the revival, really what revival is, it's being and walking and living in the fullness of all that God has for us. And it's, it's not living as, a, as an individual who's weak and broken down. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. And so I want to open up with a word of prayer right now that God will just quicken your minds and bodies. I know you've worked hard today. I know many of you have come off of work and... Maybe some of you, of you haven't even eaten yet. I, I wanna, I'm just going to pray right now that the bread of heaven would just begin to strengthen us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good Father. And Lord, you come to give us the bread of your presence, and you come to anoint us afresh tonight. Father, we thank you that there is abundant grace before your throne. Lord, I just pray that you will pour in, just pour in the abundance, Lord, of your mercy. Pour in, Lord, just the mysteries and revelation of what you want to say and what you want us to hear tonight as you continue to move us into places, heavenly places, with you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I, uh, I've been talking to you about defilement and what it is, but not just focusing on the, the, the uh, bad thing about it, but uh, we're going to be looking on how we can guard ourselves and one of the things as you begin to pursue the kingdom uh, and as you were growing and maturing in the Lord, one of the things that you become more and more conscious of is you become conscious of the fact that in order for you to be happy and blessed, we need to be healthy. Amen? Amen. So my objective as a pastor is to see people become healthy thinkers, healthy in relationships, healthy in every stage of your life. And God's design and plan is for you to live even even
we're in a broken environment around us. God's plan is for us to be healthy and whole, and he wants us to know that we have access to these riches even right now. And so on your notes, for instance, just for a few minutes, take your notes out, and I want you to notice the stages of defilement. I'm going to read this here. In the medical world, there are stages in the development of a disease. In the same way, there are stages of destruction to a spiritually healthy person. There are five stages. The first one is ignorance. Now, we're going to be looking at ignorance and exposure tonight. We're not going to cover contamination, infection, disease. We're just going to be looking at the two first two. Ignorance, which has to do with pre- preventative measures to avoid contamination. Then exposure itself, and that has to do with being connected or being around someone who is already infected. Then there's the contamination, which has to do with being defiled by allowing the germs to enter into our system. Now, on, on the spiritual side of this, this contamination has to do with when you hear a report or you hear something or you've been influenced by someone to, to the degree where you cross a line and you begin to believe a lie when you believe something. How many here have a close friend in your life? How many of you don't have close friends? Okay, we'll pray for you. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to say something that may sound a little... Most of us are wise enough and smart enough that we are very cautious and we're very guarded about what some people... Uh, say or think or what they can do. But do you know the the cause of any kind of spiritual or soulish defilement actually comes from sometimes the people that can be the closest to you? Okay? The people that you look up to or people that you believe in and you love. Uh, It can even be in a marriage. It can come out of a church. Uh, It can even come across a pulpit, unfortunately. There's sometimes... That pastors, do you know that a pastor or a leader or a teacher, instead of ministering under the anointing, can minister out of their own hurt? And what they're doing is they're just spreading that hurt on top of you. And you may think, well, wow, I just, I just heard a story. or No, but all of a sudden you walk out of that service and all of a sudden you have a warped way of thinking that is probably far less than what God intends you to think. And maybe, for instance, some, I remember hearing a minister one time, he was preaching out of Romans chapter 7. He says, you know, folks, we just have a problem with sin. And you know what? We're going to struggle with sin. We're going to have battle with sin until Jesus takes us home. And you know what? That is spreading a defilement. Because the Bible says that he has delivered us from sin. He's washed us from our sins. And, and we're no longer, the Bible says we're no longer to be entangled with the yoke of bondage. 1 John 3 says, he who believes does not sin, or the idea there is does not sin willfully. And so we, we need to begin to incorporate what the Word of God says uh, to, to people. Uh, one of the things, <clears throat> I'm going to say this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put any particular groups down, but, for instance, there, there are some well-meaning groups today in our community, our society, 
for instance, that deal with people that are drug addicts, alcoholics, or other particular issues in their behavior. And what they want them to think is that they are a survivor and they have to rehearse or recite some things concerning their life. Uh, like, I, I am a drug addict. I am addicted. And, and they make them continually confess that. Now, I know some of them go beyond that. But I'd like to, us to look from the Word of God and recognize that we are free from those things. And that Jesus has wa- not only washed us and cleansed us, but he has made us overcomers. And so, see, defilement in, in our soul can also come by some wrong teaching. Can, can come by the influence of people that we look up to. And so when we look at <clears throat> some of these subjects such as contamination, which has to do with when something really begins to get into your system, into your mind, then infection sets in where you become overcome, it overcomes your defenses, and then at this point it begins to take over in your body or in your mind Uh, The disease itself, when infection begins to destroy vital life-supporting functions. And uh, this is when we get into a place where we begin to withdraw and we begin to exemplify certain things in our behavior. I want to take you into your Bibles tonight, and I want to use Absalom in the Bible. Many of you know Absalom was the son of David. And if for the sake of uh, this story, I want to read the first 14 verses. And this is kind of in the middle of a particular scenario. I'll come back and explain it after I read this. But I want you to, I want you to read or hear what Absalom does because of some things that were dysfunctional in the family of David. Let's start right here. It says, after this, and we're going to talk about after what that was, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Absalom would (coughs) rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. That's where the people would come in before the king or, or other leaders. So it was whenever anyone who ever had a lawsuit or a problem, they came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? Where are you coming from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I was made judge in the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give them justice. So it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Now, this was a custom that had to do most justices or kings. When they would kiss the hand, it signified favor. And what the king was really saying is, I'm on your side. That's what he did. Now notice what happens because of that in the next verse. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass that after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, 
By the way, the king is his father, David, by the way. Please let me go to Hebron that I may pay my vows which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while he was at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And basically what he's doing here is he's making up a story. He's trying to depart, and what he's doing, he's defecting right now. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you will say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom, and when Absalom, and with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jeru- Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for this one guy, continue to say his name, David's counselor from the city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong. Notice that. This conspiracy began to grow. For the people with Absalom continued continually increased in number. Verse 13, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Isn't it sad to see this kind of a defection in your own family? Now, we all know David. David is one of the most written individuals in the Old Testament. And David, uh, we know a lot of powerful, positive things about David. David was an amazing uh, soldier, a mighty warrior, uh, a psalmist. He was, uh, he's noted for his ability to... Uh, write songs. Uh, most of the psalms are written by him. And, and, there, and not only that, he was a, he was a prophet, a very prophetic. And uh, even though David had his uh, mistakes, uh, such as uh, he committed adultery, uh, big issues here, as well as murdered a man, the Lord did forgive David. And we see uh, David being tremendously successful on the battlefield. A tremendous blessing when it comes to understanding Davidic worship. I mean, David, uh, of of all the uh, Old Testament patriarchs, was one man who really, really grasped the concept of what God was going to do in the future as far as understanding New Testament worship. He was an Old Testament patriarch who had an understanding of what God was really after. He wasn't after the the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices and bells and smells and incense and nonsense. God was after the heart. And David realized that. And so David honored the Lord in his life. But it's in Acts chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11 when things begin to turn south. And it was there after the sin of Bathsheba that he fell into adultery and then had her husband Uriah killed in a battle. It was a premeditated situation. And then for nine months, almost a year, the Bible says that David hid his sin. Psalms 32 is a powerful text. You ought to read it sometime. It says, when I hid my sin, it says my bones wax old. And it says his hand, God's hand was heavy upon him. 
And David was living as king and pretending as though nothing ever happened. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hand on that, but how many of you know that's not a great place to live? But, but David was under this immense pressure, uh, and it really was the Holy Spirit. But then finally, God sends Nathan the prophet to see, to see David and gives him a little scenario, a story, and it, basically David takes the bait in the story, and David says, because the story had to do with a, 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 a man who was a very wealthy man who robbed from a very poor man and took his only sheep, and David said, that man needs to, the man needs to be vindicated, and judgment needs to come on the man that stole that sheep from that poor little uh, peasant fella, and uh, this and that. And then Nathan the prophet, as he's telling the story, points his finger and says, you are the man. And David was blown away because the, the Lord had revealed, after all that time, David began, or God began to actually begin the process for healing for David, actually. God wasn't there to embarrass or to destroy David. How many of you know that anytime God brings anything to light, it's because he wants us whole? You know, uh, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where uh, when I've been sick, I've just pretended that I wasn't sick. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have to deal with things. You have to confront things. And, but David here in this situation, he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. Nathan began to expose his heart, and the Lord began to say some amazing things to David. David God said to Nathan the prophet, he said, if, if, if you needed more, if you wanted more, if you, if you needed more land, more kingdoms, I would have given it to you. But for you to do this and to take the wife or take the life of an innocent man, and the Lord, the Lord rebuked him, and the Lord forgave him, but then Nathan said this, from now on the sword will never depart from your house. And there were consequences that followed this horrible situation. And what we have here is this scenario starting clear back <clears throat> in, uh, in chapter 15, actually. No, no, I'm sorry. It goes clear back to chapter uh, 13, 14. I'm, for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you a little bit of what happened before we get into chapter 15 here. Uh, first of all, because of the breakdown and the dysfunction, uh, when we get into David's life, like I said, he was an amazing king, awesome warrior, but the one thing that David was really had serious problems was he, he, he really wasn't the best father. He, he had some serious issues as far as being dad in the home. Uh, when there were problems, there was favoritism in the house. There was some rejection. Uh, as you all know, he was a polygamist. He had probably about a dozen or so wives as well as concubines, which really makes things interesting in your home, by the way. And, uh, but, but there was competition, and there was just a lot of issues going on. But the, the, one of the biggest problems that David had, in fact, from 2 Samuel chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book, you just have, it, it's, it's, it's actually depressing to read that, the, that, those chapters because it's so depressing because it's dealing with his family. And the, one of the biggest problems is that David refused to confront problems. By the way, David was a great leader on the battlefield. He was a great provider, awesome worship leader, great pastor. 
But he was a horrible dad. And he would not confront issues in the home. Well, this is what began to start the snowball effect of offenses that begin to work itself uh, out in the family. And it started with a young girl who was a very beautiful young girl by the name of Tamar. She was the sister of Absalom. Many of you know the story. The sister of Absalom, she was a beautiful story, a beautiful woman. Uh, The Bible says she was beautiful to look upon. But there was a stepbrother. By the way, back in those days, stepbrothers and stepsisters actually married each other. Uh, They all had the same father, which was David, but different mothers. But Ammon which was a stepbrother of Absalom, had this crush on Tamar. And by the way, I know the Bible says that he loved her, but I want to tell you, folks, that was not love. Uh, and by our accounts today, this guy would have been considered and recognized as a sexual predator because he, he really did not have any true love for, for Tamar. But he was he was so full of lust, literally so oppressed that a buddy of his, and I can't even pronounce his name, a buddy of him came in to Ammon and said to Ammon one day, he says, hey, Ammon, what are you so depressed about? What are you, so, what are you looking so down for? And Ammon said, well, man, I, I, I wish I could get a hold of Tamar. I'd like to get a hold of that girl. Now, just to let you know about a custom, in Israel's day, uh, in, in, in most of the houses, in, in, for instance, in David's, little harem here, they kept the boys away from the girls. Uh, it was very important, to, and they were to, to remain as virgins, and, uh, and uh, they, they kept them apart. And Ammon couldn't figure out what to do with his lust, his desire, so his buddy, which really, really was a pervert, the guy, if you read the story, it's, it's actually hard to read, but, but his guy... This guy tells Ammon how to make up a scheme, and he says, what you need to do, Ammon, is you need to pretend that you're sick, and you need to send a message to your father to please send Tamar to my bedside because I'm so sick, and she's such an amazing cook. And, uh, and, and Ammon bought the bait, so he sets up the scenario. Dave, the word gets back to David, and David says, okay, well, let's send Tamar. I guess that's... He's asking for us. She comes in, and as the story goes, he, he, uh, she cooks for him. She actually cooks a great meal. The Bible says she cooks for him. She brings the meal to him, and then Ammon rejects it, and then he sends all the servants out of the house. He gets her alone. How many of you know that's not a good thing for a guy to be alone with a woman in an apartment? Good preaching, Pastor Ray. That's just not a smart move, but that's what happened. He gets all the servants out, and then here's what Tamar says. This is mind-boggling. He begins to force rape her. He begins to take her her by force, and Tamar says this. He says, Ammon, stop. If you want me, let's do it the right way. Let's go to our father and tell your father and my father that you want me in, in your hand in marriage. But Ammon couldn't wait. By the way, folks, lust never waits. He wanted it now, and so he forced her and raped her. But what she did, actually, before the rape, she said, if you do this, you're going to be a fool in all of Israel, in my name also, 
we'll be a, a, a castaway and, and I'll be desolate and we'll be, both of us will be covered with shame. But the Bible says that Ammon forced her and did not listen to her, listen to her. So he rapes her and then when he's done, the Bible says he hates her. He actually turns in hatred and then he says, I want you to leave my sight. And she says, I'm not going anywhere. You took me, you raped me, now you got me. And what happens is she refused to leave. And so because of that, um, he forced her out and she went back to the house, her house, and her brother, her brother was Absalom, her, her real brother, not a stepbrother. He tells Absalom, and Absalom is angry. Oh, he's so upset. But what happens is the word gets back to dad, David. This is found in the 13th or 14th chapter. And it says this, when David heard of the news of the rape of Tamar, it says David became angry, period. That's all that happened. David just got angry. What happens is Absalom sees and hears his dad gets angry. And you know what Absalom's waiting for? Absalom's waiting for dad to do something. Dad, what are you going to do? Dad does nothing. So what happens? An offense begins to set in. Absalom begins to feel a sense of rejection. He begins to feel, man, it's amazing. My dad responds to some of the family, but he doesn't respond when my sister was raped. And so now Absalom, who is the son in the house, he's offended, he's hurt, that dad does nothing. And so the Bible says, as it goes on, Absalom calls for a family gathering, as you go in the, into the scripture there. He tries to bring everybody together. And he sends a word to his dad, David. He said, Dave, Dad, will you, would you come to a feast? And I'd like everybody to come. I also want Ammon to come, but I want all the brothers and you, Dad, to come. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, and I'm going to inject something, and it's my opinion. I, I just want everybody to know I could be wrong here, but this is my opinion. I believe Absalom was calling a family meeting to deal with this problem, but Dad refused to come. David wouldn't come to the party. So what Absalom does, he says, Dad, tell you what, I would like to, can, can we get all my brothers together? But especially Absalom, Ammon. I want Ammon to come to the party. David said, how come? Why do you want Ammon to come to the party? Oh, I just want him to come. So David agrees. Ammon comes. They have this feast. But before the feast, the celebration starts, the Bible says that Am or Absalom turns to his servants and says, when Ammon comes to the party, you guys are to kill him. You're to destroy him right there. And the servants were afraid to do it, but they obeyed Ab Absalom. And when Ammon came in, he was killed right then and there. So what happens is two uh, runners or servants ran back to David in Jerusalem and told that all of his sons had been killed. Well, that one runner... Uh, did had, had misguided information. When the second runner finally came, he says, wait a minute. David, because David and all his house, the Bible says, begin to break down and they begin to uh, fall apart and hurt because uh, they thought Absalom had killed all the family, all the, all the men in the family, the sons in the family, but that wasn't the truth. And the, then the truth came out 
that Absalom had his servants only kill Ammon himself. After that, the Bible says that David had banished Absalom from his presence. And, or actually, Absalom left. He fled from uh, the scene and left the country. He just was a refugee, and he ran out. And what happened was, for two years, two years goes by, and uh, people begin to see David, the father, begin to mourn for Absalom. He wanted his son back, but uh, he, he didn't want to bring him back into the palace, bring him back. But so, so Joab, which was David's main uh, commander of his army, sent a woman to disguise a, and, and to, to create a scenario to get David to respond and to bring the son. Everybody, everybody loved Absalom. But so what happens? This woman goes and tells this scenario, this story to, to uh, David, and David responds, and she says, you know what? Uh, I, I just want you to know that Joab sent me. He sent me because everyone in Israel knows you're mourning for your son Absalom. But why don't you, uh, why don't you try to seek reconciliation? But, but because a, uh, David was upset with his son for killing Ammon. But what happens is uh, uh, Joab goes and gets him and brings him back but refuses to see him. I want you to see this. Refuses to see his own father. Here's a father who has a serious dysfunction, says, you can come back to Jerusalem, but I don't want you in my house. Wow, that's, that's some heavy stuff. So you have this breakdown going on in the house. And so from there, <clears throat> Absalom is in, in the city for, for another two years. And he, he, tries to, he tries to get his dad's attention. He sends servants. He says, can, can I address and come before the king? Can I come before my father and talk to him? And, and he was sending these messages. Says, Why did my dad ask me to come home? He asked me to come home, but he doesn't want anything to do. He don't, won't even talk to me. So he sent a message to Joab, the commander. Joab wouldn't respond to him. So finally, Absalom gets somebody's attention because Absalom had a field, and next to the field was Joab's field, his particular vineyards and orchards. And so Absalom sets fire to this vineyard or this field, and so that makes Joab mad. So he goes and he goes and confronts Absalom and says, what are you trying to burn down my field for? He said, listen, why in the world did my dad call me back and nobody will even talk to me? You guys won't even talk to me? It, 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 I, I, yeah, I set your field on fire because nobody responds to my mail. Nobody, nobody will even talk to me. He says, well, the reason your father will not talk to you is because what you did to Ammon. Now, I, I can't help, but the Bible doesn't say this either, but I can't help but think that Absalom must have said this. Well, what about my sister? What, what about my sister? And so what you have is you have some serious issues where David literally, kind of like an ostrich with his head in the sand, he refused to deal with issues in his home. And what happened is you have this anger and you have this defilement building up because Absalom, by the way, Absalom was a great leader. He had amazing gifts and potential. People saw him as an up-and-coming leader. The Bible says a lot of 
positive things about Absalom in his beginning days. But because of this dysfunction in the family and the lack of communication, David would not communicate, would not deal with issues, and as a result of that, the environment got toxic. As a result of that, what happens is Joab goes before David and says, Listen, David, your son wants to talk to you. He says, Okay, finally bring him in. The Bible says he brings him in, and David kissed Absalom. It says he receives him. And then that's where we came to this passage where it says, After this. What we have is we have issues and problems that are not resolved. We have offenses that have not been dealt with. We have communication that has not been, uh, has not happened. There's been no bridge building. There's been no peace in the home. Now, this isn't just the fulfillment of, of, of Nathan the prophet that prophesied over David because of the Bathsheba incident where he said that the sword will never depart from your house. And so we see this jealousy and envy and backbiting and slander and gossiping. And, 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 and then David, instead of dealing with issues, you know what he does? He punishes Absalom with silence. You know one of the worst ways you can dishonor people is just not talk to them. And that's, that's what David did. I, I, you know what, I don't like you, so I'm just not going to talk to you. You're here, but I don't see you. And it, it was a form of rejection. Now, in no way, in no way am I suggesting or even trying to suggest that that, is, uh, that, that that justifies what Absalom begins to do. But here in this passage, when you get into chapter 15, when it says that Absalom provided himself chariots of horses and 50 men to run before him, what he does, and this is what defilement begins to do, Absalom began to put himself out there because the one thing about defilement is you want attention. When, when things are hurting, when, when you're angry and you see things happening, usually rebellion manifests itself by crying for attention. By the way, may I say something? Not all rebellion means that a person is just rebellious. Sometimes rebellion is a cry because someone's hurting and they don't know how to explain, they don't know how to communicate their pain. So what they do is they rebel. And guess who does that the best? Children. Children will often manifest rebellion because they don't know how to deal and share the frustration that's in them. And it's a form of defilement. That's why it is so critical for communication and for, for uh, understanding and patience. And, and in the culture of the kingdom, what we're building at New Life, how many of you know, we're building a kingdom where people can be heard, people can be received, people can uh, share the things that are going on in their life. We want to honor everyone, and we need to do that by allowing people to be heard. David pushed people away. Absalom was hurting, he was wounded, his sister had been raped, dad did nothing about it, and so this hatred and anger is building, and he's venting, and now, Absalom now has come to a point where he is so infected in his mind 
that he now begins to develop a conspiracy to overthrow. And what it says here in chapter 15, that he begins to go by the, he tries to get attention by going to the place where the population, where people are gathering. And what he's doing here, a very cunning way, he comes to the gate where people have to pass by for counsel. And so when people are coming in with a problem, they say, hey, hey, friend, how you doing, friend? Uh, where are you going? Well, I'm going to see your dad, the king. I got a problem. I got some property problems. Hey, what? what? Come over here. I'm, I'm, I'm his son. Talk to me about it. Let me, let me hear what you have to say. And so the Bible says that he would hear their case, and Absalom begin to turn the heart of the people because he basically was playing Santa Claus and giving every, everybody everything they wanted and just saying, you come to me. He kissed his hand, gave him favor. The Bible says he turned half of the Israelites over on his side. I want to show you something here tonight when it comes to environment. Um, um, and this is a very simplistic situation. All of us carry an environment. How many of you know all of us are carriers? Do you know you are a carrier? You carry life. How many of you out there have abundant life? You've got abundant life. You carry, you carry the peace of God. If the kingdom of God is in you, you carry literally the very presence of heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And, and, but there's also, there can be a toxic environment. And any time we have an environment that is toxic, one of the things that you will find, because everything comes from something. It all starts from a core. And the behavior from a toxic environment usually is control. Control or manipulation. And that's the behavior that leads. The emotions, the emotions here are usually uh, anger. And that's what Absalom was experienced. Anger turns into the desire to control and manipulate. And what's behind anger is fear. And at the root of all fear is a lie. This, just these steps right here. The lie in the spirit begins to affect the soul and the mind. And when there's fear, wherever there's anger, it's because there's a root of fear. I'm afraid. And because of fear or anger, what happens when you, when you get people that have been contaminated, defiled, what happens is they become over-controlling and manipulative. They, they begin to take matters into their own hands because that's the behavior of an individual who is believing a lie. And what I'm saying here is this is, this is, this is the steps. But how many of you know we don't have to stay in this place? Uh, let, let, me, let me give you the other side of this. On the positive side, when our spirit has been transformed by the grace of God. Everyone say grace and truth. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. When the truth, when, when truth, and when the, the truth about God's grace begins to get into my spirit. That, that's why it's so important 
for the Holy Spirit uh, for us in our lives, that the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our life. Let me, let me see what. The, the next thing here is this. Once we get that truth, instead of fear, the Bible says Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has raised us to sit in heavenly heavenly places. And that instead of fear, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. When you are operating with love, power, and a sound mind, guess what? You have a healthy soul. Because my spirit has been transformed by the truth of God's grace. So, so important. And f- instead of anger, what you begin to manifest is you begin to manifest love. The love, faith, and hope. My emotions. How many of you know your emotions are important? Your emotions are very important. You can either have emotions of anger or you can have emotions of peace, faith, and hope. But that stems from the knowledge of your sense of identity. Also, your mind, your soul, needs to be grounded in in the truth of you being sons and daughters of the King, which begins to affect and begins to bring healing into the area of our emotions. Uh, You know, it bothers me sometimes, I've heard this over the years, where some people believe that God's not interested in your emotions. Oh, yes, He is. By the way, do you know all of us are emotional? And, and God wants, God wants their, your emotions to be healthy. And, and from there, uh, the, the, uh, from that emotional, our, our, our behavior becomes freedom. And we begin to move into a maturity in Christ. And, and we begin to walk, our, our behavior also becomes honoring. Honoring and respect. That's the kind of behavior because we're walking in the truth of God's grace, seated in heavenly places. Our emotions are, 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 have been uh, just uh, touched by the Holy Spirit and fills us. And and the result of that, instead of a toxic environment, we now begin to have a loving, healthy environment. And and there's peace in in the home, peace in the relationship. And the other thing, too, is that people, people can feel that they can be themselves. How many of you know it's important for you to know you can be yourself? People need to know that I, I can be myself. Uh, I, I don't have to be controlled or manipulated. Uh, you probably heard some of the, uh, you probably heard a, a, a cliche where sometimes when I'm around certain people, I feel like I'm walking on pins and needles. What does that mean? That means that I, I feel like I can't be myself because I'm afraid that I'm walking around a ticking time bomb. You know what I'm saying? See, that's what Absalom was. Absalom was a ticking time bomb. And the problem was, Absalom had issues 
in the, his spirit, in his heart, in his mind, and he couldn't find resolution. He couldn't find anyone to talk to. That is a dangerous, and it's a horrible place when someone is hurting and they can't talk to anybody. How many of you know we need to be, we need to, when somebody's crying, let me also say this. If you ever see somebody in anger or in rebellion, don't write them off. Don't just say, oh, wow, they got a problem. No, there is something that is really hurting them. And we need to give them a lot of grace, and we need to give those kind of people some time because here's the point. Sometimes people are hurting, but they don't know how to communicate that. They don't know how to get it out. And so what happens is they take matters into their own hands instead of walking with, with uh, understanding who they are and walking in love, faith, and hope. They become angry, and their anger turns into retaliation, control, and manipulation. And that becomes a very dangerous, toxic situation. And now people begin to live under a cloud of oppression under a cloud of oppression. And, and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a cloud of oppression. Uh, let me tell you this. In my own house, in my own house, there's been times even with between my wife and I, uh, we've had seasons where we were not always on the same page. And uh, I, I even hate to tell you this, but it's the truth. There were times where I just didn't like my wife and I punished her with silence. I just didn't talk to her. And I was being ornery. I was not being a good guy. And my uh, and Carol would say, Ray, I think we need to talk about it. And I said, I don't think so. I, I, I have things to do. So I would go out in my shed and I would put her around with my tools. I knew exactly what I was doing to my wife. I was punishing her because I was believing a lie. The other thing is that I was not confident about who I was and what Jesus Christ has, con has done through, his, through the cross in bringing restoration to my mind. See, today people don't feel that they need the Word of God. They don't feel they need, they, they need help. And so what they do is they, just, they have this kind of mindset. I know my marriage is bad, my life is bad, my home's bad, things are bad, and I just kind of hope it all goes away. By the way, that's not the way you take care of things. And so what happens is the atmosphere becomes toxic. You become very controlling. Anger is in the house, the emotions. The mind is full of what we call vain imagination. Everyone say vain imagination. Vain imagination, wrong thinking is in my mind because I am believing a lie. I, I wanted to show you this so we would understand. My time is gone right now. I'm, by the way, I'm not going to even get to my notes. Big surprise on that one. Uh, but just to let you, you understand these stages, and by the way, in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be focusing on healing. How do we heal the soul? How do we heal uh, from these, these, these uh, and, and break what I call the, the stages of, of, of a negative cycles in our life. Let me tell you something. Uh, a toxic environment exists because of negative cycles. 
Do you know that the earth revolves around the sun? All of us have cycles in our life. We have habits. And we have to look at our habits. We have to look at our thinking habits. We have to look at our emotional habits. We have to look at the kind of habits that exist. And so what I'm saying to you, we're going to be looking at some of these things in the next couple of weeks, okay? Anybody have any questions before I close? i got about 30 seconds. Anybody have any thoughts, any questions? Has this helped at all? I mean, we're, we're just looking at this. I, I know I'm covering a lot here, but God, everything starts in the Spirit. God wants to bring healing from a lie to the truth, begin to heal the mind, begin to touch your emotions, and then it begins to affect your behavior, and then it affects your environment. All of us carry an environment. Amen? Bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have not given us the spirit of fear. And all of us, Lord, all of us, myself included, there's been times that I've been defiled by allowing wrong thoughts and vain imaginations. I've been hurt. And Lord, I should have dealt with it, but I didn't deal with it. I chose to believe a lie. But Lord, you were so faithful, so patient. And Lord, you were so uh, good. And Lord, you were patient. And Lord, you poured in the grace. You poured in vision. You helped us to see the bigger picture. You broke those cycles of defeat and cycles of rejection that continually keep us under oppression. Lord, I just pray in the next few weeks, Lord, as we look at Scripture, as we look in the Word of God, that you would just help us to develop and build a solid foundation for building healthy relationships. And everyone said, let's stand.